on the chorus. Do you think we can sing along? Appreciate that, Tim. That's pretty much true, no matter what the minute is. Not really. Ladies' prayer breakfast is this coming Saturday morning, 10 o'clock at Cracker Barrel. My own. Good. I and. Uh, other announcements are in your bulletin. A couple things I want to mention uh, that are probably in your bulletin, but I want to place special emphasis on them. Number one is the uh, prayer meeting at 5.30 this evening before the service. Uh, for a while, we were having six, seven, eight men in our men's prayer meeting, and I don't know how many ladies, but uh, recently, uh, you noticed the attendance slacking off? Well, it started in the men's prayer meeting uh, a couple or three months ago with just one or two or three men, and not, not just one, but two or three men, and uh, <clears throat> that needs to change. God always responds, uh, always works in response to the prayers of his children, and uh, when we join together in prayer, uh, we see his hand at work. Everything that we've seen God do at Keep the Heights Baptist Church since I became pastor has been a direct result of prayer. I mean, God gets all the glory. He did all the work. And uh, we want that to continue. Uh, and then uh, the uh, choir practice is at 5. You say, but Brother Casey, I can't sing very well. You don't have to sing very well. You just have to show up. Okay? 
and we need full choir. We need choir members. And uh, so, uh, 5 o'clock this evening, you be in your place in the choir. And uh, just, well, I'm just expecting you to be here. Uh, Sunday school teachers need to be not just faithful as they always are, but they need to be here at least 15 minutes before class time starts. Okay? I, uh, I try to be. In fact, anybody who has a part in the service needs to be here at least 15 minutes before the service starts uh, so that uh, there's no tension and nobody's anxious about anything, about whether or not it's going to happen or whether or not somebody's going to show up. Uh, we can just rest in the knowledge that uh, everything's organized and planned and we're going to do it. And so uh, uh, let's, uh, so please make that a matter of prayer, earnest prayer. Then I almost never say anything like this from the pulpit, but Jennifer Craig, Ms. Craig's daughter, uh, lives at my place residential care. And every year they participate in a volleyball marathon and they get sponsors to sponsor them. All of the money goes to the Make-A-Wish Foundation and the Baptist Children's Home. It's divided between the two. Uh, the, the, it's a little girl that they're sponsoring this year for, uh, uh, through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Last year it was a little boy. Uh, and I can't give you all the details, but he had cancer. And... Uh, just an incredible opportunity. Uh, Jennifer's not here because she twisted her knee at the Special Olympics softball tournament, <laughs> and so she's stove up this morning. But her mother has the, uh, the sign-up sheet for sponsorship. Uh, it's just a one-time donation. You're not sponsoring them by the minute or by the number of times they hit the ball or <clears throat> how many dives they take to try to save it. Keep the ball from touching the ground. None of that. It's just a one-time donation. And uh, if you would like to have a part in that, then see Miss Linda Craig. Miss Craig, raise your hand. Wave. Okay. This is her right here. Gray jacket, purple blouse, blue flowered something-looking skirt, <laughs> black shoes. See, who says who says men never notice what women are wearing? Right Thanks, Bob. <laughs> The one in the spotlight, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, if you'd like to participate, uh, see Ms. Craig after the service. Um, one more thing. What was it? She could. Oh, okay, good. Okay, Bob, how about putting that back there for me, would you? It's best if I do things while I'm thinking about them. Oh, I'm in inside here, Bob. Wrong table. That that back table, yeah. I apologize. White table, gray legs, one on each end. Diagonal support, <coughs> crease in the middle. If you missed Sunday school this morning, 
Oh, wow. You missed the blessing. We studied the Lord's Prayer. John chapter 17. Not the disciples' prayer from Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew 17. Found out that He prayed for Himself, for His disciples, and then He prayed for us. Prayed that we might have joy. If you don't have joy in your life, you're not living the Christian life. Because Jesus said, I want you to have joy. I want my joy to be in you, and I want it to be full. On Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings for the past several months, we've been looking at the book of Second Peter. We've come now to the end of Second Peter, and I'm going to close out the study this morning. If you'll take your Bible, turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. The last part of Second Peter chapter 3 deals with the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming, first of all, for the church. doesn't talk much about that, but then it talks about when he comes back and sets up his kingdom here on the earth and then reestablishes the planet. He says it's going to be a new heaven, new atmosphere, no more pollution, and a new surface for the planet. New heavens and a new earth. Going to be incredible. And in the ages to come, we will live with Him on this planet and enjoy all of the glories of Him and His creation. In verse 11... Peter writes and says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, including the junk, I mean the stuff that you bought at Walmart this past week. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? How should you live in light of the fact that Christ is coming back and everything that we see and touch is not going to last? How should we live our lives in light of that? In fact, not only what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, but looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. That ought to be our focus, the fact that Christ is coming back. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise... Look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. What? Be diligent that you may be found of him when he comes in peace, without spot and blameless if you're going to be in peace that means husbands and wives ought not be fighting with each other break it down a little little 
more narrow than that even, means brothers and or sisters should not be fighting with each other. We're to be in peace without spot and blameless. And blameless, does that mean perfect? No, just means you did your best. Okay? Every once in a while, one of the kids will give me a picture. And it is not generally a masterpiece. It's not something you could frame and sell to a major collector or a gallery. But I love those pictures. Why? Because it's blameless. It may not be perfect, but they did their best. Unlike when you go to the hospital, to the lab, and they draw your blood. I mean, they don't even stay in the lines. They color all over the sheet. You'll get that after a while. That you may be found of him in peace without spot and blame. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The reason Jesus hasn't come back for us already is because there are still lost people that you know. There are still people in the world that have never heard the gospel clearly presented. That's why in Sunday school we memorize scripture verses here in the auditorium class. We, just, we say them over and over again every Sunday morning. So that when a question is asked of us by someone, we can call that verse to mind and share it with them. I mean, unless you carry your Bible around with you all the time, it's unlikely that you're going to have access to one immediately. And so you hide God's Word in your heart that you can <laughs> deliver it when the Holy Spirit prompts you for it. Also, it helps keep you from sin. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so we can account that the long-suffering of our Lord, the reason He has not come back yet, is because He's waiting for folks to get saved. He's waiting for us to do our jobs. He's waiting for us to fulfill His great commission, which is to... Carry the gospel to the whole world, especially to our world, to our sphere of influence, to the people we meet. Have you worked out a way yet in order to share the gospel with your neighbors? How many of you, have you even thought seriously about it? Have you thought seriously about inviting somebody to come to church with you in order that they might hear the gospel? The folks in our services who have gotten saved, for the most part have been saved because somebody invited them and they came. And I've watched it happen over and over again. People don't come because we have the most luxurious church in town, nor the most beautiful building. Maybe the best looking pastor, but I, I haven't seen all of them, so I can't say that for sure. No, I'm telling you, people come to church because somebody invites them. Because somebody invites them to come. Are you being diligent in that area of your life? Do you ever even consider the lady who has to rip open all the envelopes with the electric bill in it? Or the water bill? Or the gas bill? Or your insurance payment? I mean, there's somebody somewhere opening that envelope. And we got a whole rack full of tracks out there telling people how they can trust Christ. They're gospel tracks. You know the difference between a gospel track and any other kind of track? The gospel track has the gospel in it. 
Okay? When I look at tracks now, I, it doesn't matter if they're trying to draw people to save you or not. I always look at them, see if they got the gospel. What's the gospel? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's how people get saved. And so, if I'm going to put a tract in an envelope, I'm going to put a gospel tract in there. So that whoever opens it can see it. Now, they have an option. They can throw it in the trash. They can lay it aside. They can put it down somewhere. Or they can read it. It is not my responsibility to stand there and read it to them. Especially if I'm not the one delivering the mail. But it is my responsibility and your responsibility to see that they get the message. Christ is long-suffering because He wants people to get saved. He said that back in verse 9 of this chapter. God is not slack concerning His promise, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want people to die and go to hell. Do you? Oh, interesting question. You say, well, of course not, Brother Casey. Well, then, get busy doing something about it. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our brother Paul also hath, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, that they that are unlearned and unstable rest, they wrestle with it, that they do also, as they do also the other scriptures, under their own destruction. Say, what? What did that say? That said, that some people who read the Bible don't fully understand. And so they not only have trouble with that, they have trouble with other parts. Why? Because they don't believe. They don't believe. This book is truth. I didn't say this book is true. I said this book is truth. T-R-U-T-H. This book says Christ created the world by the word of his mouth in six literal days. And then he rested. Why did he rest? For an example to us to know that we can't work seven days a week either. You say, when? Well, that's an interesting topic. depends on how you look at it. All the evidence indicates it was between six and 10,000 years ago. Except for that evidence that has been either created or misinterpreted to say the world is billions of years old. People say, well, wait a minute, brother, because what do you mean by that? I mean, how did Adam exist for the first three months if he was born as an infant? If he was created as an infant? Babies can't make it on their own. In fact, it's a major controversy, and the media always gets involved, and the police get involved, and social services gets involved anytime a person bears a baby and then leaves it out to fend for itself. You know, you put it in a basket. The last thing I saw in the media about it was about a girl who bore a child and put it in the dumpster. Okay? 
You say, oh, Brother Casey, that's terrible. No, there's people all across America that eat out of the dumpsters. Okay? You don't find a lot of good fresh milk in the dumpster, though. Babies can't make it on their own. So Adam was obviously created a grown man. Why could not God not have created a planet that was a fully grown planet? You say, well, what about the fossil record? Well, duh. What do you think would happen if the world was covered with water up to 27 and a half feet above the highest mountain for a whole year? Don't you think mud might be compressed, might be compacted? There's only one place, one place in the whole world where you can find the geologic columns as they are taught by the evolutionists. Do you know where that one place is? Textbooks. Because it does not occur in nature. It's interesting, isn't it? And when discrepancies are found, like the guy who shows that the tiny embryo starts out as a, uh, a creature that looks kind of like a tadpole or a fish and it, and it grows from there and becomes, goes through all the stages of, of the various animals until finally it begins to look semi-human. Okay? Oh, it's been proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that the guy manipulated the pictures to make it say what he wanted it to say. Did they change the textbooks? Of course not. They're still teaching your children that. And I don't know what planet you live on, but that's just wrong. Wrong. But they're doing it for a particular reason. They don't want your kids to trust God. They don't want your children to trust Christ. They don't want your children to read the Bible. And so it is your responsibility as a parent to read the Bible to your children, to teach them the Word of God. Because nobody else in the world is going to do it. That's why we started Master Club programs uh, in the evening, uh, on Sunday evenings here. Because children need that. They need to be taught. And they can't get it just one hour a week in Sunday school or, or, or one hour a week in children's church. What's the responsibility of the parents? So... Paul wrote some things that were hard for people to understand. And because they are unlearned and unstable, they really wrestle with it, as they do with the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved. Let me repeat that. Ye therefore, beloved. Or let me rephrase it, paraphrase it. Because I love you, seeing you know these things, and seeing that you know them ahead of time, beware. Beware. You seen the sign that says, beware of dog? Beware of the dog. Some people put it on their gates. Okay? I don't have a dog. I'm going to get me a sign that says, Beware of the wife. Because most dogs, their bark is worse than their bite, right? Okay? That's not true with women. 
grouchy women especially. Their bites always work. Uh, would you erase that part off the <laughs> CD, please? <clears throat> back, back up. Verse 17, Ye therefore, beloved, because I love you, seeing that you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now, he doesn't talk about falling from grace. He doesn't talk about falling from salvation. He says from your own steadfastness. Stay grounded. And don't get sucked into this stuff because it will pull you off balance spiritually. And you'll end up messed up. What's he trying to say here? Well, verse 18, grow in grace. Grow in grace. How do you grow in grace? Well, you take the grace that's already been given to you and you share it with others. And you begin recognizing grace. Okay? Like what? Did anybody notice that the sun came up this morning? It did. That's grace. If the sun ever burns out and stops shining, it'll be about eight minutes before we know about it. But it's going to be devastating. Okay? Things will quit growing here on the earth. And within about six months, people will be starving to death. Within about a year, there won't be but a handful left. And shortly after that, there won't be anybody left. No animals, no plants, no nothing. So what keeps the sun shining? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the knowledge. So you're going to grow in grace and you're going to grow in knowledge. How do you grow in knowledge? Reminds me of a little kid that went to first grade. He came home at the end of the day, and, the, and his mom said, Well, how was school today? He said, It was okay, I guess. She said, Really? He said, Yeah, I didn't learn it all, so I guess I have to go back tomorrow. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get all your knowledge the moment you trust Christ as personal Savior. You have to grow in grace and grow in knowledge. So how do you grow in knowledge? Well, you talk to people who know. You fellowship with people who know. You read the book that allows you to know. Read the truth. I recommend you start in the book of Matthew. Start in Genesis. You'll read all of Genesis. It's got some pretty cool stories in it. Exodus. It's got some pretty cool stories in it. Although near the end, when you get into the building of the tabernacle, if you haven't read all the rest of the Bible, that's not going to make a lot of sense at the time. And then you get to Leviticus, and that's one law after another. Things that God's told the Jews, don't do this, do this, but don't do this, and do this, but don't do this, and do this, and don't do this. And there's just a few really important verses in there for Gentiles, things we need to know. For example, uh, chapter 17, verse 10, the life of the flesh is in the blood, okay? 
So if somebody wants to drain all your blood out thinking it'll make you well, that's not what the truth is. That's what killed George Washington, by the way. They bled him to death. To get rid of the bad blood. See? Well, if you're going to get rid of bad blood, you better make sure they're giving you some good blood. Because you can't live without it. He didn't. Then you get to numbers. And they start counting all these people. Oh, my word. I think they name every one of them. Actually, they don't. They just name the heads of each family. But you know why they're in there? God wants you to know that He knew each of them, and He knows you. He not only knows you, He knows how many hairs are on your head. And how many you lost during the night. And where they are. On your pillow, laying on the floor beside the bed, you know. Wow. God knows all that stuff. He knows you. And that's the reason he put all those names in there. And it's kind of important to read them, even if you can't pronounce them. I'm surprised some of their mothers could pronounce some of those names. Okay. But they probably feel the same way about some of our names. Okay. Lakeisha, that's a new name I heard recently. Lakeisha. I'm thinking, well, that doesn't sound Irish. <laughs> Grow in knowledge. You're going to read the Bible, start in Matthew. First four books talk about Jesus. The first three talk about his ministry. First one shows that he's king. Second one shows that he's the servant. The third one shows that he's he was fully human. And then the fourth one, John, shows that he's God. You get that that concept in your mind. And then you can see how he began to work in people after he left. Sent the Holy Spirit. And then you get to Romans, and Romans breaks it down for you so that you understand that you can get saved. Though God doesn't have to save you, because you are definitely a sinner, you're not going to heaven without Him, but you can get saved if you believe. It's a gift from God. And then it shows how He can set you apart and begin to work in your life so that you can live for Him. And is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. Because you're going to find this battle going on. The things that you want to do, you're going to find yourself not doing. And the things you don't want to do, you're going to find yourself doing them. That's what Paul said. He said, I, I find a law then that when I would do good, I end up doing bad. And when I would do bad, I end up doing good. When I, you know, I mean, he says, it's a, it's a big controversy inside of me. So what, what hope do I have? Oh, here's the answer. He gives the answer. I love it when a guy asks a question and then answers his own question. Okay. What's the answer? Oh, praise be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's not us. It's Christ living in us. That's how we win the victory. And then he gets to chapter 8 and he says, besides that, you're more than conquerors. You're more than conquerors. Now you all have heard me say this a dozen times. I'm going to say it again just because I like hearing it so much. Okay? When Kurt Warner won the Super Bowl with the St. Louis Rams, okay? Not the Lambs like we had the last few years, but the Rams. Okay? The fully grown ones. When Kurt Warner won, he was a conqueror. Oh, man. He gave God the glory, but he was a conqueror. Brenda Warner, his wife, sat up in the stands. And Kurt Warner got a ring worth several thousand dollars. Brenda Warner, who did not block a single opponent, did not tackle anybody, did not throw a single pass, did not scramble one time, did not ever get knocked down, she did not participate in the game at all except to sit on the sidelines and go, well, I could do that. She got a check for tens of thousands of dollars. He's a conqueror. She's more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? Then you get from there into... 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, all the problems that can happen at his church and how we ought to deal with them. And, and then the, the importance of not being so legalistic and wrapped up in the law, but, but living a life of joy and a life of love in Christ. And Galatians and, and, and then on Philippians, how to, how to have rest and joy in your life. How not to fret about everything. All through the New Testament, you get down to the book of Revelation and you say, well, Brother Keith, I tried to read the book of Revelation and I don't understand it at all. Okay. Keep reading. The author of the book will begin teaching you. Okay? And there are people who do know and understand the book of Revelation and you're welcome to talk to some of them. And we'll help you. And then you go back to Genesis and start, and you, you see what God's purpose was and what God was trying to accomplish here in the Old Testament because, because here it is all laid out in the New Testament, and you go back to the Old Testament, and, and he just starts building on that. And you can see it then. You see how God was, was setting things up and, and bringing things along for the birth of his son here on this world so that we could be saved. That's just cool. So he says, grow in grace. And grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That's the end of 2 Peter chapter 3. To Him be glory. To who? To Jesus. Who gets the glory for what you do? Who gets the glory for what you accomplish? Is it you? If it is, it's a violation of Scripture. Sometimes it concerns me when we applaud our children's success. Not that we do it, but how we do it. Okay? Now I can say this because I already made all the mistakes. Well, maybe not all of them, but a whole bunch of them. Okay? 
raised one and helped raise another and helped raise another one for a little while. And, you know, just so, so I've made all those mistakes. We want our children to know that we are pleased with them, that we recognize their efforts, but we want God to get the glory. Okay? If y'all don't know Austin, my grandson, you got to meet him. I mean, you got to meet him and talk to him and spend some time with him. He is one cool kid. Okay? He's a little bit quiet, a little real bashful, but incredibly compassionate. You know? And I want him to know that I am pleased with his life when God uses him to be a blessing to somebody else. Because God's the one that's using him. God's the one that ought to get the glory. To him be glory. Now, while we're here, and then forever. Now and forever. And Peter ends with that Greek word, amen, which means what? I agree. Let it be so. Go for it. Let me see if I can come up with some other translations. Do it, God. Okay? Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we love you. Maybe not like we ought to. And maybe not like we will if we get busy reading your word. Dear Lord, we do love you. Because you first loved us. And you're so long-suffering in order that people might see their need of a Savior and trust Jesus Christ. That they might come to recognize that your word is truth. Dear Lord, there's one here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Help them today to recognize the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for them, that he was buried and he rose again the third day for them so that they might have the gift of God, which is eternal life. And all they have to do is receive it. And dear Lord, there's one like that here this morning. Help them today to have the courage to step out and come and receive Jesus as Savior. Dear Lord, if you've touched somebody's heart this morning about a, a problem in their life, a habit perhaps, or some sin problem, help them to recognize that if they confess that sin, you're faithful and just to forgive them and to save them from, uh, and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And help them today to make that confession. Dear Lord, there may be some that have been wandering away from you and they recognize they need to, they need to rededicate their lives, recommit themselves to service to you, to a life of faithfulness and service. But dear Lord, whatever you want to accomplish in this invitation, we leave that up to you. We simply ask that 
your Holy Spirit continue to work in our church in order that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.